are listening to Law and Gospel on this March the 28th in the year of our Lord, 2023. And today we're going to be taking a look at the hymn, A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth. And so we want you to listen to what this sounds like. It's hymn 438 in our hymnal. And you're about to hear it sung now. A lamb goes uncomplaining forth. I'm Tom Baker. And you'll be hearing also from Pastor Mark Smith as we take a listen to this. Uncomplaining forth the guilt of sinners bearing and laden with the sins of earth, none else the burden sharing goes patient on, grows weak and faint to slaughter lad without complaint. That spotless life to offer, he bears the stripes, the wounds, the lies, the mockery, and yet reprise. All this I gladly suffer. This Lamb is Christ, the soul's great friend. The Lamb of God, our Savior, whom God the Father chose to send to gain for us his favor. Go forth, my son, the Father said, and free my children from their dread of guilt and condemnation. The wrath and stripes are hard to bear, but by your passion they will share the fruit of your salvation. And that is two verses of A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth, written by the great Lutheran hymnist Paul Gerhardt. He lived 1607 to 1676, and the first time that this appeared in a hymnal was in 1647. Now, during this time, there was a 30 years' war between 1618 and 1648, so this was nearing an end. Berlin was seeking deeper into political tensions due to the ruler's desertion of Lutheranism in favor of Calvinism. This hymn is designated for Good Friday. We're doing it because we're getting ready for Holy Week. The other great passion hymn by Gerhardt is O Sacred Head Now Wounded. These hymns draw on a near mystical tradition of passionate contemplation 
of the suffering of Jesus Christ. The core truth of this hymn is the love of God in offering his son for our salvation. Pastor Mark Smith, I'm Tom yes. Baker, pastor. What do you yes. think of this hymn? Well, it's a great hymn. You know, uh, what struck me first about this hymn, uh, as we get into the first uh, verse, you know, in the old hymnal, it says, a lamb goes uncomplaining forth, the guilt of all men bearing. And, of course, with the updating of the language, the new hymnal has, the lamb goes uncomplaining forth, the guilt of sinners bearing. I, I think we need to stress that he bore the sins of all people, even, even the sins of those who would never believe in him. I mean, all the sins, I suppose the sins of all time, the sins of the whole world, were, uh, were being carried by our Lord Jesus with him, all the way to the cross where he suffered. So read the first stanza, and then we'll examine it. Okay, I sure will. A lamb goes uncomplaining forth, the guilt of sinners bearing, and laden with the sins of earth, none else the burden sharing, goes patient on, grows weak and faint, to slaughter led without complaint, that spotless life to offer. He bears the stripes, the wounds, the lies, the mockery, and yet replies, all this I gladly suffer. You know, once more at the bottom of the page, there are only about three Bible verses they point to, but there's actually around 30 of them. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of them in this first stanza. Why is Jesus referred to as a lamb? Well, he's, he's the lamb. Well, of course, he's the lamb that all the other lambs that were sacrificed all throughout the Old Testament up to his coming were all pointing ahead uh, to. He's the lamb of God, as John the Baptist uh, heralded him. Uh, remember, he said, that, Behold the lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He's, you know, all those other lambs were, all, were only foreshadowings. He's the only one that could really take away the sin of the whole world. Why is the idea of he was uncomplaining? Where does that come from? Well, that comes from, uh, uh, I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's from Isaiah, where he's uh, a sheep is led to the slaughter and, and is silent. Yes. Uh, well said. Yeah. Yes, sheep do not complain. They're not really knowing what's going on and such. But this lamb is knowing what's going on. And as you indicated, the guilt of sinners bearing. Now, that's changed from the old hymnal, the guilt of men, because yes. the word men in the Old Testament does refer to all people. Absolutely. Those, and, and, and so that's not a big change, but it makes the point that you can go to an unbeliever and say your sins are forgiven. Right. A lot they're of people don't they're, know they're, that. They're, they have been atoned for. His, his sins, that unbeliever, his sins too have been atoned for by Christ. Yes. 
Now, the unbeliever may still go to hell because he refuses the gift of that forgiveness of sins. Right, that's right. But he still has it. All that is needed is trust in the promises. So one of the words in here that may not be understood by a child if you're going through the hymn, and laden with the sins of earth. What does laden mean? Encumbered. I would say encumbered with. He's he's taken all the sins upon himself. In fact, Tom, you know, a lot of people think, I think a lot of people think that uh, he took these sins on maybe in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why he was extremely sorrowful unto death. But don't we believe that he that he made this great exchange, our sinfulness for his righteousness, don't we think that he made this exchange even with his baptism in the Jordan River? By John the baptizer. Right. That's why the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, because John the baptizer, hey, this is a baptism of repentance. You don't need that. I need that. And Jesus said, no, it is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And that's where he took upon the sin of the world. Yeah, my point is, he carried those sins upon him all throughout his earthly ministry. Yes. Yes. Not just, not just at the cross. Now, how do we know the next line is true? None else the burden sharing. None else the burden sharing. Well, that's a good question. Well, what's uh, we one know? of the words I, I, Jesus says from the cross? Yeah. I'll start yeah, it I, off. Yeah, my go God. Ahead. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah, uh, God forsook his own son upon that cross because, because nobody else was carrying those sins. His own heavenly father yep. had to turn his back on his own beloved son because uh, because of the, the terrible stench of sin that was encumbering our Lord Jesus. He, he was suffering the very pangs of hell on that cross, which is, which is of course, uh, God-forsakenness, being forsaken by his own heavenly father. And that is why he was, we believe he was extremely sorrowful unto the point of death uh, that night in Gethsemane, because he knew that he yeah. would be suffering that God-forsakenness uh, the next day on the cross. Now, this coming Sunday is called Palm Sunday, but the three readings don't refer to his entering into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, because this is also called the Sunday of the Passion. Passion. Right. Now, why do they do that, have a Sunday of the Passion for this third year in readings? Well, I, I've, I've always understood that, you know, they, they cover Palm Sunday already in Advent. That's one of the Sunday emphases during the season of Advent. Uh, That's correct. I, I, I've been told that the reason why they have that Sunday of the Passion emphasis is because 
sadly, not everybody comes to Good Friday. And so or they Lenten want to be, services. Or Lenten services. They want to be sure that people, uh, that people will get that emphasis of the cross, of the passion, uh, the Sunday before, as well as, uh, as Easter Sunday, of course. Now, to slaughter led without complaint. He bears the stripes, the lies, the mockery, and the last part of that first stanza, all this I gladly suffer. Is that found anywhere in the Bible? That Jesus gladly suffers the cross? Well, I know, I know this. When he sat down, when he reclined at table with his disciples at that Last Supper, uh, he he did this. He did so gladly. He was he was he was looking forward. If, if, if it's hard for us for us to imagine, but he this this was the ultimate of what he had come to do was to go to the cross, and he was he was gladly making this sacrifice because it was. It was his father's and his plan for the redemption of the whole world. There's actually a verse in Hebrews. I'll start it off, see if you can remember it. Okay. For the joy. Set before us. Endured the cross. No, no. Despising the shame. Set before him. Yes, right. Go ahead and read the whole verse, Tom. Well, that's what it says. For the joy set before him, he went the way of the cross. And, you know, do we think that that Friday is a joyous day? Well, they do call it Good Friday. Exactly. It's a a grim day when we think about the the bloody cross and and, uh, what he had to bear, the God-forsakenness, which is hell itself on that cross. But but for us, it was our salvation. And when he cried out, it is finished, we know that our salvation was accomplished on that cross. So he had joy because he knew what the outcome of the cross would be. Right. Absolutely. All right. I'll do stanza two. This lamb is Christ, the soul's great friend, the lamb of God, our Savior, whom God the Father chose to send to gain for us his favor. Go forth, my son, the father said, and free my children from their dread of guilt and condemnation. The wrath and stripes are hard to bear, but by your passion they will share the fruit of your salvation. Now, what really surprises me is that This verse is based on a big text from the book of Daniel, but it doesn't appear at the bottom of the page. It's one of the most important passages. What am I speaking of that occurs in Daniel uh, between the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man? I'll tell you, you've caught me flat-footed, Tom. I wish you'd share what, I want to hear what this verse is you're thinking of. Well, the Ancient of Days in Daniel is God the Father. 
And right. he sends the Son of Man to earth. In fact, he's specifically referred to as the Son of Man to redeem the world. And that's Jesus. Right. So you have right. this conversation between the Ancient of Days and God the Father. And it says that specifically here, verse 2, whom God the Father chose to send to gain for us his favor. Now, the pronoun his, who does that refer to? That would, that would be God the Father. Yes. So that, according to Corinthians, we are reconciled to the Father. Yes. God is reconciled to us. And the task of the church is to get people to recognize that they already have been reconciled and God has forgiven their sins. Yes, that wall of sin that was erected when man first fell into sin right, with Adam and Eve, yes. that has been blasted away. And that's really what that, that curtain in the temple that was torn in two on Good Friday, th that's what that was showing, is that we are reconciled back to the Father. That's what accomplished. It is finished, as Jesus said. Well, I'm surprised that Daniel passage isn't, uh, isn't written at the bottom of the page. Tom. I know. I know. Well, there's so many that aren't written. Yeah. Um, that would be a good paper for someone to go through the hymns and write all the passages, you have to have somebody who almost has the Bible memorized, because there's about 30 or 40 passages in each hymn you can use, and this would be one of them for sure. Uh, that and, you one from you, and you mentioned that expression, son of man, in Daniel. You know, that was Jesus's favorite expression for himself. He always referred to the Son of Man. That's how that's how yes. he seems to have referred to himself more than any other expression. Because that was a prophecy that the Son of Man, which means Jesus would become enfleshed. That's another verse right. from Isaiah, born of a virgin. All right, stanza three, please. Yes, Father, yes, most willingly, I'll bear what you command me. My will conforms to your decree. I'll do what you have asked me. Oh, wondrous love, what have you done? The Father offers up his Son, desiring our salvation. Oh, love, how strong you are to save. You lay the one into the grave who built the earth's foundation. That's a great verse. Oh, my, yes. You know, Jesus was put on a piece of wood that he created. He was nailed by these nails that he created. He was whipped by branches that he created. He had a crown of thorns that he created. And yet all that was upon him for our redemption. That, that's a wonderful verse. Yes. And, and how about that last, the last part of that stanza? Uh, you lay the one into the grave who built the earth's foundation. 
Think of that. Yes. Yes. In fact, we talked about this recently that we realize that Jesus is buried in our grave, according to Romans chapter 6. Remember what baptism does? That right. you are buried, buried with Christ. In our baptism. Yes, that's yes. right. So, once more, just a, a really good verse. Um, this brings up another question, you know, in the area of uh, authority. Does Jesus have an authority he follows? No, but he was subject to his... Uh, all three persons are co-equal, but yet he was subject to his Heavenly Father, and he, he heartily agreed to that uh, divine plan of redemption. And how he, does the Apostle Paul talk about that in marriage? Um, well, marriage, marriage is uh, it's a, it's a great mystery. I'm trying to think of uh, marriage well, is a in a married family, husband and yes. wife. Who has the authority? Yeah, the husband. No. Oh God, of course. Yes. <laughs> okay, Tom, it's, early, it's a little early in the morning. <laughs> but no, that, that's such a natural thing people say because yeah. the husband, the husband is, is the head, the head of, of the, the wife household. The husband is the head of the wife, right? How is he to treat the wife? Oh, he's to offer himself. I mean, self-sacrificial. His love yes. should be sacrificial for his wife. He ought to be making his wife happy all the days of her life. Yes. Well, maybe not happy, but he has the authority, like God the Father has the authority over Jesus to command him to do things, and Jesus obeys. And when a husband has the authority, it means that he is responsible for the family living according to the Bible. But right. I would say 90% of the decisions you and your wife makes have nothing to do with the Bible. And therefore, she is she to listen to everything the husband tells her to do? Well, the, the husband should not lord it over his wife. No, what does that he, mean? He, he's not, he's not to, to, to ride roughshod over his wife but it but but he is he is the but head that of the doesn't house really say anything okay. roughshod because i i think at times a proper christian husband will sound like being roughshod for right. example you the two of them will have a baby and it's the husband's duty and responsibility to make sure that that baby is baptized even Absolutely. though the wife may disagree with that so she'll right. think he's being roughshod when he really isn't. And in a sense, God the Father, he was roughshod over Jesus. As it says, he allowed the mockery and he allowed him even being put into a grave. So from a human point of view, that's a real paradox. 
how God the Father who loved his son that much would ask him to do what he did. And yet, and yet Jesus did it gladly. Yes, and that's what a wife is to do. But the husband is only to use that realm of authority where the Bible has something to say. If it's talking about groceries or the color of the house to paint or what tiles to put on the roof, uh, the wife has as much input as the husband. And normally the husband, because of the relationship of husband to wife of Christ to the church, should allow the wife to have her way. Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's so many things that the wife knows better than the husband. Well, maybe in your marriage. Okay. (laughs) Stands of four, please. (laughs) Okay. Lord, when your glory I shall see and taste your kingdom's pleasure, your blood my royal robe shall be, my joy beyond all measure. When I appear before your throne, your righteousness shall be my crown. With these I need not hide me, and there in garments richly wrought, as your your own bride shall we be brought to stand in joy beside you. Now, it talks about that your blood royal our robe shall be. What color, therefore, will our robe be? Uh, well, you know, the hymnody talks about wash your robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. Exactly. They're white, which is the sign of righteousness, which every believer is wearing right now after their baptism. It doesn't matter what race they are, what nationality, they're wearing that white robe from God's point of view. And that's why this hymn is so good. Thank you very much, Pastor Mark Smith, in helping us with A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth. And on tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we've got a great passage from the book of Proverbs that we will be talking about as we get ready for Holy Week next week. I'm Tom Baker, and you've been listening to Mark Smith. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.